now listening to The Prime Podcast, a show dedicated to exploring and investigating all things health, fitness, and performance related. When something is in its prime, it is at its best. This includes us as humans. Are you ready to take on the world? Then join us on this journey to live life in your prime. And welcome back to another episode of The Prime Podcast. Uh, We are trying to get ahead and get some things going. And also, we've been having some questions as related to the previous podcast. So we're going to kick it right off in terms of how we are going to tackle some of these topics. And Tori's going to jump right in with some questions. And then we're going to rock and roll and go off that way. And we have a few quotes and different things that are going to be coming at you. So let's get it. Tori. Hello. Oh, wait, hold on. Sam's here again, too. Hi. I'm uh, back. I'm back for more. I, I stole her out of the gym. She just wanted to squat for like another two hours. So I was like, hey, uh, I kind of want you to do the podcast again. Is that okay if we take a break from squatting for a little bit? Reluctantly, she did come in the gym, but she, I mean, mm. into the office, but she did come into the office. Yeah. Reluct- reluctantly, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have no comment. <laughs> <laughs> comment to that. All right, Tori, let's see. All hear. right, so we're going to go back to nutrition and just have you guys give a little bit more info on where you should necessarily start first in terms of tackling your nutrition before you just go full in. What's something somebody else is doing, something you read, just what knowledge should you need? All right, and this was a question that as things go up throughout the week and people ask questions and related to our podcast, I started thinking about it and a few people had come up from time to time after class, before class, and we talked about this before, and they ask questions like, hey, I'm going to try what you're doing, or I want to try this, or I want to try that, and where do I start? What do I do? Right? So I think initially, the most important thing to do is, I'm going to quote Michael Pollan here. Michael Pollan is the author of Omnivore's Dilemma, a great book if you ever get a chance to read it about food and where food comes from. In addition, he was quoted and referenced a lot in the documentary called Food Inc. If you're interested in listening to that, he's in there and he talks about the burger and fries and all that kind of stuff. Michael Pollan, great author about food and nutrition. He also has one about uh, psychedelic mushrooms. So he's a little, he's all over the place. But mushrooms mushrooms are huge. He actually talks about mushrooms a lot in terms of where they come from and why they're super important in the Omnivore's Dilemma. But his prescription can be summed up in seven words, but I'm going to add an eighth, is eat food not too much, and mostly plants. I'm just going to add one word to it and say, eat real food and not too much and mostly plants. And he said, and in there it says, probably the first two words are the most important, right? Eat real, well, my, for me, eat real food. The first three words are the most important because that's what we're looking for. So regardless of what prescription you are going to follow, and let's be honest, all of those prescriptions, whatever it is, whether it's paleo, the carnivore, Intermittent fasting, keto, keto, uh, whole 30, vegan, blah, 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 whatever it is, all of those things have a very firm grasp and a firm foundation on eating real foods. If you want to be paleo and you spend most of your time trying to find ways to make paleo pancakes and paleo cupcakes and paleo brownies and paleo this, paleo that. Like if we're really being honest, I don't think there's any cave drawings of paleo muffins on a cave somewhere from a long time ago from when the caveman used to eat, right? They didn't have, they didn't just reconstitute 
packaged foods from quote unquote whole foods, because the more processed we do it, the less healthy it becomes, right? So a paleo cupcake or a paleo brownie is still a brownie. Junk food is still junk food. So even though it might be kind of healthier, it's kind of funny because Kelly Starrett, who used to be the CrossFit mobility person, and he has his own kind of thing now. I just saw on Instagram, he came out with a recovery tequila. Interesting. Sam's laughing. <laughs> it's the whole concept of how, how can you drink alcohol and recover at the same time? Their alcohol is a, by definition, it's a poison in your body. Your body tries to get rid of it. And the idea was like, oh, we put aminos in it and we put, <laughs> it was just so ridiculous. Let's do it. There's collagen in it. There's all these different things that are in the tequila to make it a recovery, a good time recovery or something. That's how they're promoting it. And mm. I was just thinking like, how, why are we just like completely bastardizing what real quality food and nutrition looks like? And then I wanted to, to just talk a little bit about, I know Greg Glassman's not the most popular person. He is the, was the former CEO of CrossFit, but I'm still pretty sure they probably promote his world-class fitness in a hundred words. And this is how it goes. Eat meat and vegetables, nuts and seeds, some fruit, little starch, and no sugar. Keep intake to levels that will support exercise, but not body fat. Practice and train the major lifts, deadlift, clean, squat, press, clean and jerk, and snatch. Similarly, master the basics of gymnastics, pull-ups, dips, rope climb, push-ups, sit-ups, Presses to handstand, pirouettes, flips, splits and holds, bike, run, swim, row, etc. Hard and fast. Five or six days a week. Mix these elements in as many combinations as patterns as creative creativity will allow. Routine is the enemy. Keep workouts short and intense. Regularly learn and play new sports. So that's world-class fitness in 100 words by Greg Glassman, who was the founder of <clears throat> CrossFit. And if you actually followed that prescription, you would be in a pretty... Pretty good place. But my Greg Glassman is, has been uh, canceled. You guys didn't know. Cancel culture. He's part of the cancel culture, unfortunately. Or fortunately, I guess. <laughs> makes sense for makes certain sense. people. Yeah, it makes sense mm -hmm. for certain people. But anyway, part of the conversation last time, and that's what I'm going to throw it over to Sam in a second, was that Sam does a very condensed version of intermittent fasting, where she's just switched recently to doing 3 and 6 p.m. But the focus like I just said, is about eating real foods. Can you go back and re-emphasize? Because we had talked about it before in the previous podcast, but just kind of reiterate like what your breakfast looks like and what your dinner or whatever you want to call the, I mean, it is a breakfast because yeah. breakfast by definition is you're breaking the fast, right? right? So that's your first meal. And then what's your dinner looks like, your next meal? Like yeah. what do they look like on a day-to-day? -day? So I eat the same thing every day and it's really good. I like it and I got used to it. I eat eggs spinach, ground beef or ground turkey, sometimes both, and tomato. And that's like my main meal. From there, I'll have some fruit with it. And if anything, I'll have like a protein bar. And that's just my breakfast. So everything's whole, like I cook it myself. It's fresh. And that's just to start to break my fast from a, a protein bar. What kind of bar? So lately I've been on this outright kick because you keep buying them and yeah. they're really good. So one thing about that is different about the bars that we carry compared to, let's say a quest bar yeah, is the outright bar and the perfect bar are both classified as whole food bars. Mm -hmm. So they have real ingredients. So that's the one saving grace with that is they still do have real ingredients. Whereas if you look at the back of a quest bar, or a one bar too. Or a one bar or a 
pick a bar, like chewy granola bar or any of those like protein, like things you can find in the regular grocery store. Those things have a ton of other ingredients that we don't dive Mm -hmm. into. So we try to get the whole food, like real ingredient bars. So Mm -hmm. the little side note, so it still is kind of whole food, but it kind of goes to that like little paleo thing that we were talking about. So it's a hybrid. Mm -hmm. It's, It's a little bit better than a traditional bar. All right. Dinner. So dinner's uh, a lot of veggies. So spinach, lately I've been doing like a salad. So I'll do spinach. I have green beans in there, broccoli, uh, leftover eggs is like my new thing. I just keep putting it in my yeah, salad that, as like those, a those topping. Cold eggs, those cold those eggs. Those cold eggs. And then chicken, tuna. And that's about it. Chicken or tuna for right. dinner. So <clears throat> how often do you go, you, you grocery shop for yourself? Right? Yeah. Like how often do you go down the middle aisles of the grocery store? Never. Like I usually shop at Aldi and I never go down the middle. If I'm like bored, cause I like to grocery shop a lot. I'll go to just to look around, but I never find anything. I never buy anything on the inside. The girl after my own heart. I love grocery shopping too. I, lo- I love it. Yeah. I could spend, I get really excited grocery shopping. Yeah. I'm getting excited <laughs> thinking about it. Yeah. So I think we talked about it a long time ago, but one of the keys to grocery shopping is staying on the perimeter. Mm-hmm. One, it makes it faster. Two, all the things you actually need are there. And three, all the stuff in the middle is really crappy for you. Oh, besides peanut butter. <laughs> oh, peanut butter. Okay. Gotta get the peanut butter. So peanut butter is, but usually peanut butter is kind of like at the end. It's at the end. It's like a quick grab for the all natural. Yeah, you don't have to go through the whole aisle. No. So when you do when you when you're shopping like that, you're you're not getting all those processed things. Right. So there's no processed foods. All the processed stuff that's in a box or a package are all in those shelves that's can sit there forever. And they're not what we would classify as the eat real food category. And as Sam is saying, yes, she does intermittent fasting. Yes, I do intermittent fasting, but we also eat ninety percent of our meals or more are made up of real foods of whole minimal or whole like a nutrient dense real foods, right? So the foods that have a ton of nutrients for you and they take up space in your belly and they're real, right? And they have all those things. They don't have ingredients. Like if you go to the grocery store and you pick up a bag of spinach, the only ingredient is spinach. Spinach. When you go and you pick up a bag of pancake mix, there's a whole bunch of other stuff. You go and pick up, I don't know, name your, thing <laughs> and it's all so many different ingredients like even you can you can get really good now that's just one good thing of all these different nutritional trends is because you can get like in the past i used to make my own mayonnaise mm-hmm. but now you can get like a whole 30 paleo mayonnaise that's in the grocery store that's actually got good ingredients instead of making it yourself because when you make it yourself you have to make like a ton of it and mm-hmm. i mean i love mayonnaise but i love uh. mayonnaise I could spoon. We are not the same. <laughs> my mayonnaise. Uh, Tori, I should, we should record this one because Tori has made two really gross faces so Eggs, far. tuna, <laughs> and mayonnaise. Yeah, no, so. will not get I on like that. tuna either. I, I put it all, all together. A hard-boiled egg, tuna fish, and mayonnaise. We're talking like the tuna that comes out of a can or a packet, correct? Yeah. Yeah. No, like my mom would open it as a kid and I would run down the hallway. I couldn't mm. do the, mm-mm. I couldn't get over the smell. I'm not going to taste it. I'm sure it tastes fine, but I can't get over the smell. Eggs, it's a texture thing. Any kind of cooked eggs? Because you can cook eggs so many different ways. The only eggs I will eat if I go out to a diner, I get them over easy. Otherwise, I will not eat them. Hmm. Like, if I eat scrambled eggs, like, I'm choking them down. Hmm. I won't even chew. Have you ever tried it with, like, other things in it? Like, I can't do it. But you wouldn't even know You haven't tried it. I've done it with certain things. Like, I 
I, even as a kid, I wouldn't do it. Like yeah. I'd go to my aunt's house and she'd be like, we're making eggs for breakfast. I'd be like, well, I'm not eating them. So uh-huh. I don't know. It's just. So what do you eat for breakfast? Um, I normally do the, you guys can crucify me here if it's not good. Ezekiel bread and then avocado, like a half avocado. And that's about it. So you have avocado toast? Yeah. What a millennial. But I wanted to make sure I clarified <laughs> it was the healthy bread, quote unquote. Yeah. Ezekiel bread? Yeah. I don't know. Why is it healthy? I, Jennifer Aniston eats it. So that, yeah. that makes it healthy. Oh my God. <laughs> no, it is supposedly, it is like a healthy, like just grain or something, not white. I don't know, bread. I don't know. I did no flour, no sugar one time many years ago and I ate it then and I never stopped. But Ezekiel? No white flour. But but Ezekiel know. bread has, like, where does flour come from? I don't know. Where does flour come from? <laughs> it's a grain. It's a grain, 100%. It's a processed grain. So you're just eating grains and, like, they're, they, the, the, the premise with Ezekiel bread is that they're live grains, okay. which is supposed to make it better. But if you watch, which one of the more, I think, telling parts of when you watch Food Inc., and they talk about, cows eating grain and they have like different stomachs Mm -hmm. is that the one that people stopped eating meat after they watched like probably it was like a craze that but in in there they're 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 in there with a cow and they talk about why the the explanation is like why do we give cows grain when they should be eating grass you know why are we giving them these things and they can actually have the ability to digest things whereas like we you know we can't because they have like these different stomachs where different things are live and they can digest and break things down, whereas like we can't. You know, they're giving them corn, but they're giving them like corn and different stuff like that. I forget the exact thing, but they should be eating grass nonetheless. Mm-hmm. And we don't have those abilities to digest things as other animals do, so we're not naturally supposed to be eating grains. Grain, theoretically. So should I stop eating it? No, I mean if you. Oh. So so I guess, and that's a that's a good point too. Like dairy, again, we are the only mammal who drinks another mammal's breast milk. <laughs> I wasn't going to laugh. She laughed. But it's true. I mean, there's no other mammal that does that. Yeah. And we do that for, I don't, I don't know the exact reason where it came from that we would do that or how it evolved over time. But milk is a, has some good nutrients. And if you can use it and assimilate it and not have any, negative side effects, then sure. And the same thing with red meat and the same thing with uh, other things like nuts bread and nuts, nuts and seed. And if you can use them and your body digests them and if you feel good, then rock and roll. And I think you wouldn't know, like Tori, like Tori said, she did no flour, no sugar. No. Yeah, I did that a couple of years ago. It was really stupid. I only did it for two weeks. I lost like five pounds in two days and I was kind of grossed out about it. Lost five pounds in two days. Mm-hmm. I went from like one twenty four to one nineteen. If you don't know Tori, yeah, she's like a she's already a twig. So I'm one twenty now, yeah. so same range. Yeah. So if she lost five pounds, she would be non-existent. Non-existent. Mm. I guess the point of that is is whatever works for you, and that's why we talked about this before mm. because like we had, in the previous mm-hmm. podcast we talked about what Sam does and maybe what I do, and Tori eats her avocado toast and. So just because that might be working for us right now doesn't necessarily mean that's going to work for you. One of the big takeaways I thought that we were trying to to convey in the previous podcast was like the N of one. 
right? You are mm-hmm. your own experiment. Now yeah. that doesn't mean like, Hey, don't, you can try what we do first and see if that works for you. But then if it doesn't, then switch. And in terms of that, you might want to stick to it for like 30 days and make sure you're at like 85 to 90% consistency with that. Mm-hmm. Because then if you're not, you don't know if it works. Right. Also going back to the previous episode, the correlation between sleep and your diet and how it affects each other. A little bit more about that maybe. So did we talk about sleep last time? We incorporated a little bit. We talked about our own basically and, and how I think Sam brought it up how she was sleeping better. Yes. Mm-hmm. So the recommend, cause we talked about the time, right? So the yes. recommended time is between seven and nine hours. That's the optimal time we talked about. I think, yeah, we did talk about athletes sleeping excessive. So what the other research shows is when we pass our window, like third shift workers, especially. So when you get to that, that window of like 10 PM to 4 AM and you're awake, that's when you start craving, craving all of the bad stuff, quote unquote, bad stuff, like the high sugar stuff. They're really sweet. The, the really calorically dense foods that don't give you a lot of nutrients. There's just something that happens in that time. If we don't follow our natural rhythm, our sleep wake cycles, a lot of times third shift workers, people who, who work the overnight shifts like nurses and uh, maybe security and different people like that, they struggle because they're always craving stuff during those times and they're never craving like nobody's craving tuna fish yeah. and broccoli. My mom's a nurse and they keep, she has like candy at the desk yeah. and just like eats it. Yeah. And that's, a, and that's a kind of an interesting topic too, because I remember we had a, a member here a while ago that at their office, they had like a, a candy bowl. Mm-hmm. And then every time they, and they had like those little chocolate bars, like the really small ones that are like a cube. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? They want you to yeah. get on like Halloween and she would eat like 12 of them in a day mm-hmm. because you don't think about it. You go and you grab one, you eat a bite. It's yeah. like you're eating, you don't feel like you're eating a whole candy bar, mm-hmm. but if you do that, and 12 times, yeah. you're really eating like three full candy bars a day. Yeah. And then we talked about it and they actually got rid of those at the office and she lost like 15 pounds. Impressive. That, it's, it's like, simple it's, yeah, so simple things. And this is why your day-to-day routine and your day-to-day habits and your environment plays a huge role on how well you can maintain and, and do these things consistently. Mm-hmm. We didn't talk about sleep at all. No, nah, I was just about to say, <laughs> did we mention sleep? No, we didn't really mention sleep. Well, we did in the third shift type thing and, and yeah. how it relates. But in terms of your sleep affecting your food right, or your food affecting your sleep, Paul Check, C-H-E-K, he has, he's like another type of fitness type influencer who's been around for a very long time. He has these different things where you can test what type of food works best for you. And let's say for me... And I did it because obviously I do everything. Depending on your ancestral history, you can tell by like which foods you can eat and not and sleep better. And he was talking about like if you eat carbs at night, like what happens when you go to sleep? If you eat Mm -hmm. like a lot of protein or a lot of fat, like what happens through your sleep? Do you sleep well? Do you not sleep well? Like if I eat carbs like within two hours and, you know, like like faster digesting carbs. I think, Jamie, we talked about that too with the slower digesting stuff and not hitting those. But if I have a banana or any sort of, fast carbohydrate, I will sleep terribly and I will wake up multiple times. But if I just have proteins and fats, I'll sleep like a baby. Mm -hmm. So there is, that would affect, but you would have to also, this goes back to everything that we've talked about every time is being reflective and paying attention to what you do. 
and knowing like, oh, I slept really bad last night. And a lot of people, you know, this, this has come up a lot too. And I keep seeing it about, oh, I woke up today. My back kind of hurts. Mm-hmm. Your back doesn't hurt from how you slept last night. Your back hurts from what you've been doing to your body for the last three to six months. Right. So what are you doing? Are you, are you not active? Like you just didn't all of a sudden sleep. Your body is not that fragile that like you slept a certain way and all of a sudden your, your back is jacked up or your shoulder is jacked up. It could be that you slept that way for like we were talking about sleep last time, like or how we sleep. What were mm-hmm. we talking about? We weren't talking the about the way we sleep. We weren't talking about in the podcast. I think we were talking about outside. After maybe, yeah. Yeah, we were talking like about. If you sleep on your side or your stomach. Oh yeah, we always sleep like a starfish. You do. Yeah. I sleep. I sleep in a starfish or the fetal position. <laughs> That's those are too drastic. <laughs> I know, but I'm the person who came up to you and said my back hurts from sleeping. Yeah, and there's and yeah. About it. So if you sleep, you know, a certain way, and you always sleep like that. Uh, I went to a conference a while ago and one of the ways that they help athletes, this was a high performance coach who works with a lot of professional athletes is they make them sleep in a, like a lazy boy chair for like three weeks Hmm. because you can't fix somebody's sleep in a bed. Like how do you make sure that they don't change positions and roll and and roll on their stomach? Yeah. Like if you're in a lazy boy, you're just like chilling. You're just chilling. Yeah. Sleeping in a lazy Mm. boy is amazing. Oh, it sounds uncomfortable. I sleep, I fall asleep reading all the time. Can you fall asleep on your back? Cause I can't. I can. And a lazy boy, I can. But in bed, can you fall asleep on your back? I don't think so. Maybe I can't. And I think Kelly Starwright, going back to that, like says the ideal position is kind of like a, a hammocky kind of position. Mm-hmm. So your head and feet slightly elevated. So like, like a banana shape. Like mm-hmm. that would be the ideal position that most people, because I think a lot of people have that low back issue and they're tight in their hips from sitting so much. So that laying flat on a surface irritates them. So being in that like hammocky type position actually relieves a lot of pressure. You ever laid in a hammock? Occasionally. What do you think? It wasn't a very good hammock. So I don't know. Maybe have you laid in a hammock? <laughs> yeah. Like we're camping. It's nice. You I sleep, like you it. Ever sleep, like fall asleep in a nap? I fall like, asleep take, in it. Yeah. Like take a nap mm-hmm. in there. It like supports you. Just put one in my well, room. Well, it gives maybe. you a hug too. Yeah. But yeah. But then you also just like, I just, it's, it's like just, your, your feet up, your head up. Yeah. So that's kind of like one of the more ideal positions to sleep in. I'll replace my bed with a hammock if it's that comfy. Well, they do have like the freestanding hammocks. Oh, yeah. I've seen those. Yeah, they have like posts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll see some fail videos going on. Tori, yeah. Tori, Tori, Tori will have some fail putting videos it of together her is... putting it together and falling out when she's trying to get in. Yeah. I could see it happening. So we talked about some sleep there. We did get to sleep. The next stuff is all new stuff, and it's questions, comments from some of our members mm-hmm. and general questions as well. And Tori. And me. One of these was me. Uh, but first one is not. Training age, a little bit about that, and do percentages matter, the correlation between the two, all that good stuff. All right. So training age. Now, if I were to ask Sam right now, Sam, how long, when did you start lifting weights? Um, college. College. How many years ago? So 2011. And it's now 2021. 21, 10 years ago. So, so you have a training age of 10. Yes. Okay. So I started lifting weights in 1997. (laughs) (laughs) Like legit, legit. I was in high school. All right. How many years is that? (laughs) The caveman. That's That's 24 years. I wasn't even a thought. So my training age is 24. Okay. If you are new, 
So if we think about it like education, right? That's the, the easiest way to compare it. Sam's in 10th grade, right? Mm-hmm. I, I'm i past my doctorate. Whatever. 24th grade. 24th grade, whatever that is. Super master. I got like seven <laughs> master's degrees in, in exercise. So depending on what happens right now, like it is almost without any, you know, performance enhancing drugs and without any other certain things it's very difficult to make progress for me like strength gains plus I'm older which makes it more difficult and Sam well she is still she's older in her training age which things are she doesn't she no longer has that like novice effect where things happen so fast but she can still make pretty decent gains if she sticks to something for a pretty you know like a new program or something like that she sees good progress Whereas me, two and a half pounds to five pounds progress on a back squat is like a, a thousand percent increase just because of my training age. You were going to say something when I asked you when you started lifting before. I think I was thinking of it, of the kind of lifting that I was doing mm-hmm. compared to from then to now, the training I was doing, but I was still lifting. Yeah. I mean, so it's just it's your body's just, adaptation. No. Yeah. Yeah. So you said college, right? College. Yeah. You didn't do anything in high school? I did, but it was just mostly like conditioning and agility. Like it no, like went weights. in. No, we never did any weights in high school. No. Unfortunately, Tori's training age is zero. Um, yes. So if Tori were to lift weights like consistently for a year, and she went from so zero is essentially like pre-K nursery, nursery school, school yeah. right? So in nursery school or kindergarten, first grade, you learn a ton. Right? You learn a ton of things. You're able to do a ton of stuff. Like you, you turn into a different human being. Sam is pretty evolved. Like there's not much that's going to change. Like she's still learning some new movements, which help also make progress faster. Right. So if she only did back squats all the time, which I joke with her all the time, I because mind. She, she loves back squatting, <laughs> but it would limit her progress because her training age at the back squat is much higher than her training age at the snatch, for example. So you see how there can be different things inside of there that when you learn new movements, you, your, your training age essentially starts over because you don't have that exposure to that movement. So when you do new stuff, that's a way for you to get over plateaus, stay healthy and make better progress without beating your body up. Example of school, like correlating to that. It's easy easy to understand. Yeah. There was another, another part of that. Wasn't there another part of that question? Percentages. Ah, percentages. So correlating to the training age, if you're from like zero to two, percentages don't exist because you don't have a true like maximum. Like Sam. You're just learning about your body still and what you can handle. And like, when do you think if you can remember? It's, 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 It's also hard too, because when you come from different backgrounds, before Sam ever lifted weights, like when did you start playing soccer and get competitively? And I started playing me a soccer stare. She's when like I was, my whole life, duh. Yeah, like, my whole life. Like <laughs> after like high school, school and stuff. Middle school. Like was so when pretty competitive. I played JV. Did you play club? Or was there club around? I there? played club since seventh grade. Yeah. So club, so. school sports, and different things like that. So she had some training under her belt, and she was a strong athletic person to begin with. And then when you add some other components to it, it does change a little bit, you mm-hmm. know, so her, your, your ability to 
the the best analogy I heard with this is you being able to like if you had a dimmer switch, like how much can you turn your light on? Like can you turn it all the way on? Which all the way on would be being able to perform a one rep max. And we see it in the gym because we've had coaches meetings and conversations about this is that if I go on an assault bike and I go as fast as I can for 30 seconds and then I have Tori go on the bike as fast as she can for 30 seconds who has a training age of zero and she probably can't turn her light on that, that high. She might only be able to get her light on like 15, 20% of the way. So when she's done with her 30 seconds, she's like, Oh, that wasn't that bad. And then I'm on the ground laying saying I can't feel my legs because I can turn my bulb all the way up and Tori can only go 20%. And that has to do with her training age. So if you can only get 20% of your physical potential right now, doing a maximum, doing a percentage based off of your maximum is not true. It's not real. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So then in a class, this came up before because Sam had mentioned it. What recommendations might you give somebody in a class setting who, when in a class, and here's the, the difficult part of being a class group strength and conditioning instructor or teacher or coach, whatever you want to call it, is because in a class, I may have Sam who has 10 years of experience. She, her training age is 10. And then I have Tori who has a zero training age. So what we have to do as coaches is also have a kind of knowledge of that. And be like, hey, Sam, you should be doing this percentage. Hey, Tori, just what would Tori do? What would you recommend for Tori to do? Mm. Let's say we're working on a deadlift today. A deadlift. And, and it says do five by five at 75% of your max. And Tori has just no concept of anything. What would you what advice would you give Tori for today? <laughs> well, we'd warm up first. Well, to just, see if we're, she... <laughs> we're there. We're there. We're, we've passed um, all that stuff. I would we're have in the her climb by tens, probably. Yeah, so just kind of gradually add weight and see yeah. how it feels. Yeah, and every every rep is going to be different and just listen to your body and see what you can do. Yeah, so take today and just kind of gradually add some weight and see how you feel, right? And then next time we do it, try to build build a little bit more. And then next time you do it, try to build a little bit more. So every time you come back to that same movement, because you are at such a training age that you're so young, you can do that. You may come back the next day and be able to deadlift 20, 40 mm-hmm. pounds more than you did the first day. Right. Whereas if I try to deadlift today and do, do a max and I came back tomorrow, I wouldn't be able to deadlift the same. I'll tell you that it would probably be a lot less because I've turned my light bulb on so bright. I need some time to, to bring it back up. And think too, I think a lot of our athletes don't keep track of their numbers so it's really important that if you want to keep growing and getting stronger to know what you put on the bar each time and to be able to build from that, whether you put in Wattify, whether you keep it in your head or in your yeah, phone. Yeah, right, notes on your phone. Yeah. Because like, again, like Sam is saying, if you didn't have anything to compare it to, you don't know if, mm-hmm. you know, like if, if last time you were like, I don't really know what I did. I think I did this. But then you do the same thing again. Not that it's the end of the world. But it would be nice to know that you did 10 pounds more today and then next time you did 10 pounds more again and then 10 pounds more again. Keeping with that thought with the people who do keep track of it and they might not do the same weight that they did yesterday and they consider that a bad day in the gym. What do you say to them? I'm going to throw us a Sam. I'm going to drink some water. (laughs) Bad days happen all the time. I have them 
and you just have to. You have bad days. I have no way. Everyone has bad days. She doesn't get to squat. I I don't let it affect me though. I think that's why. Like I don't. Only when people are I, trash talking. Only you. when Anthony's trash talking me, <laughs> <laughs> then I let it affect me. When and I get talking mad. about that, then I hit the number I want to hit because I'm mad. Yeah. You just got to shake it off, and and tomorrow's another day. You don't always have to hit your percentage or or hit a number higher than you hit last week or a, a different rep, but you just keep showing up and, and don't let it affect you. Cause like you come here as to change your mood, to get better and to enjoy it. And when, once you stop getting mad at your, when, when you continue to get mad at yourself, that's when you start, you don't enjoy it anymore. It just gets And then if you do get frustrating mad, and it, one of the things that might happen is you get frustrated and you try to force the issue a little bit. Mm-hmm. And you're like, no, I did this last week. I'm going to do it today. And then that's when you potentially injure yourself. Yeah. Because you're trying to force the issue and not pay attention to your body. And then your body is telling you something, right? It's giving you like a little warning. Like, hey, like your central nervous system, I, we're not ready to do this today. And what things, what if you, you know, from your experience, you know, mm-hmm. thinking of days that like, hey, you didn't have your best lift, you know, you, you know, things felt heavy. What might have affected that? Like what things do you think might have had influence on what might have affected you having a quote unquote bad day in the gym? Everything, work, diet, home life, relationships, those all play a factor. How much sleep you get, like it's all, it all plays a role. Yeah. Yeah. All stress. So if you, if you don't know, um, I think it was a, it was a national geographic thing. It It was just called stress. And there was a Stanford doctor. He went to like Africa and he studied baboons and he went to go see how stress affected them and you know, how to correlate it to humans. And one of the things that, that I learned in that more than I learned anywhere else is that stress is stress. So no matter what level of your stress is, right? Sam just listed like five of them, relationships, home life, work, some other sleep and all those different things. Those things are stress. So you can keep compounding stress on top of stress on top of stress in your body and brain does not recognize the difference between what it is. So your body doesn't know that it's physical stress or psychological stress or emotional relationship stress. Stress is stress. So the more we add things to the, and layer it up, the more our system, our overall system is challenged and we have to fight that off. And that's when you get hurt. That's when you have sickness. That's when you have all those different things. And like Sam had said, exercise is supposed to be one of those things that you're like, Hey, Yes, we're create we are creating our own stress in that environment, but it's controlled. It's a controlled stress, which is the cool thing about exercise. And we're teaching our body how to handle stress better while also reducing stress. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got it. Tori learns so much every podcast. So. I know. I think that with like <laughs> that kind of getting upset in the gym and angry with yourself. I think that all like you have to enjoy the process mm-hmm. and a lot of people are getting, I, I have people coming up to me with that, with food too. Like it's just hard for them and they don't get it and it's frustrating and, and just starting off simple and like little by little will make a big difference in your life. And just like the nutrition too, just start off simple, whole healthy foods and just enjoy it and learn about your body. Did you read the Ben Bergeron's book about Catherine? He has talks about Catherine a lot. Mm-mm. So in the beginning, he talks about Catherine Davis' daughter. If you guys know, she's a pretty famous, well-known CrossFit athlete. Ben Bergeron is her coach. 
out of CrossFit New England outside of Massachusetts. He, when he first started working with her, she was at regionals, I believe. If I'm, if I'm not 100% of the story, but she was at a competition. I think it was regionals, which at the time there was, that was a thing. It's different now. But she failed a lift or had a poor, poor showing or poor effort in a, in a certain event. And she went into the side and threw all of her gear down. She was crying. She was doing all this sorts of stuff, which if you know Katrin right now, you would never think that that's the type of athlete she was. She was like throwing equipment, like being very aggressive and very emotional with her response to her performance. And right now, if you watch her, she's stoic, right? Well, she always has a smile on her face. And when he started working with her, that was one of his things. And he called at the time, he called that as an immature athlete. So like if you're an immature athlete and you respond so dramatically to negative situations, then you just have to be more, you have to become more mature, you know, be an adult, like do your thing, enjoy the process because the process is much more important to the grand scheme of things. So just a sidebar to that. It's about the journey. Yeah. Because if you, if you, if you think about it being about the process and not about that particular event or that particular day, that particular lift, then you can be more reflective on it. And you don't let this, mess with you. I was telling Sam yesterday that when <laughs> with my children, I get fake mad. Why? So then I can control it. Cause when you're really mad, you say things and do things oh, that you yeah, don't want to yeah, yeah. do. But if you can pretend to be mad, they think you're mad, but I'm not really mad. So it's all completely controlled. Interesting. I used to do it all the time when I used to coach football. Like we would yell at, yeah, we would yell at, we would have like a meeting and yell and then we'd go in the office and laugh about it and joke and be in all in a different mood because we. <laughs> I'm a liar. <laughs> not, it's not a liar. You have to do certain things to mm -hmm. prove your point yeah. Yeah. that you want to prove. And you have to do it in an, in an emphatic way in order to do that. And also you have to be able to control your emotions mm -hmm. because yeah. if you don't have control of your emotions, that's when those things happen and you have bad days. Then you, you know, and then after your bad day, you go home and, ha and continue your bad day throughout. Yeah, it, it turns into a bad week. And, and then it turns into maybe you have a couple of glasses of wine that night. And then you have another bad day the next day because you had a couple of glasses of wine because you had a bad day in the gym because you had a bad conversation with your significant other. And it just this trickle down. You have down. a bad hangover and then you. <laughs> it's a snowball effect, right? So it's a snowball effect that we're trying to avoid by having a little bit more. You know, that's what the stoicism, if you want to know about more about stoicism. Hit up Tori. What is the exact definition? Because I'm not even sure. <laughs> it's, it's similar to what I just said. Like okay. that idea of being able to control your emotions and be and never be too high or too low. And also being able to be reflective about the things around you as, you know, it's a very process mindset. Mm -hmm. Okay, that makes sense. Definitely working on that myself. Yeah. So you can talk to me about it. That's fine. Um, moving on. Coach Christina said this is one of the most common questions she gets in the gym is how to stretch certain areas that may be bothering you. I was somebody who just sent you this text yeah. and said my knee hurts. How do I stretch <laughs> it? Only to get the harsh realization that it's a bone. Yeah. So talk about it. So there is this concept called a joint by joint approach. So if we look at our body joint by joint, starting at the bottom, right? Your big toe, which is the first kind of like big joint should be very mobile, right? So you should be, have a very flexible big toe. 
So what I want you to try to do, right? We did this before. We've done it, yeah. Yeah, try to Wait, lift. Try to no. Try to just put your foot flat. Like, try to lift just your big toe up. Just the. Uh, like, try to just lift your big toe up. Can you do that? You'd be surprised at how many of you listening can't do that. And if you can't do that, there are some things you can do to improve that. But if your big toe doesn't work independently of the rest of your toes, you might have some issues up the chain. Right? Your ankle is well. Your I should, before I go there, your foot, your midfoot, your arch should be stable. Right? We were just talking about being flat-footed before. So you should be stable, right? So it shouldn't move and do all crazy stuff in the midfoot. Your ankle, which is the next joint, should be mobile. So it should be flexible. Mobile is flexible, right? So it should be flexible. So if your ankle isn't flexible and you try to squat, guess what's going to happen? You're going to get knee pain. You're going to get back pain. Because if you can't squat properly, then then things go up to the next chain, the next joint in the chain. So your knee... Tori asked for stretches. Your knee, if it's if our ankle is flexible, our knee should be hmm? not flexible. Not flexible. It should be stable. And you build stability in your ankle or your knee. Sorry, you build stability in your knee by having mobile and stable hips. So if you have stable there, if your hips are messed up, then they mess up your knees. So what is a cue or how do you, most of the time, if, if somebody has a trouble when they're squatting and their knees go in, what's the main issue? Their knees go in. Their feet are rolling in. Yeah, but what else is usually happening? Weak hips. Weak hips. So if your knees are moving all over the place, most of the time it's the hips. Sometimes it's the feet, but a lot of times it's the hips. Like your hips aren't working properly. So Tori has been running and mo- most likely when she runs... Her hips are weak because it's pounding on the ground over and over and over again. We took that picture of my hip that one time too. Yeah, we did take a picture of her lunging, which was a telltale sign that her hips are jacked up. And every time she would run, her knees probably roll in slightly. And over time, when you take your 4,000 pounding steps into the asphalt to run her two miles, then three three miles, then she gets knee pain. That's the result because her hips are weak and probably her, her, her foot is also rolling in. So usually if you can, you can do a test, right? You can put a quarter underneath the ball of your big toe and try to roll your knee out as far as you can while keeping the quarter underneath your big toe this whole time. And then if you can do that, tell me where you feel that and then look at look at your arch before you do it, the arch of your foot, and then look at your arch after you roll your knee out as hard as you can and tell me where you feel it. Most likely, you're probably going to feel it in the arch of your foot and you're also going to feel it in your butt. Right. If you can do that and, and learn how to activate those muscles and use those muscles appropriately, then you're in a better position. Then if you go up the chain, your lower back should be stable. Your lumbar spine, your low back should be stable. And then a lot of times the problems with low back stuff is because people don't have, they have, they're inflexible in their hips and they're inflexible in the next joint up, which would be your thoracic spine. So if I have lack of mobility in my hips and mid back, my low back has to move. And then that's when people get hurt. So if your low back is moving, you're in a bad, bad spot. Right. And then if you're mid spine, it just goes up the chain. So all the way down, right. So all the way down to your wrists, um, wrists should be flexible. Elbows are stable. Shoulders are flexible. You know, neck is pretty stable. Neck has two different parts. So some of it's got to be able to move left and right. And some of it's also got to be stable. Can you do that thing where you like stand up against the wall and you can get your whole arm flush with it or no? On my right side, I can on my left side. Okay. 
That's just always seemed cool to me. I don't know if it correlates to what we're talking about. But it does. I mean, okay. it's shoulder mobility, yeah. But that's one of the tests we do for shoulder mobility. We have people lay on the ground and do it, though. Oh, okay. Yeah. Kind of combining everything we're talking about now, people who go, either athletes, members, whatever, go really fast to hide dysfunction in their movements. So what did we just talk about before? <laughs> we talked about kipping, right? Kipping. Yeah. And what do we talk about? Why would people kip? Because it's easier. But why is it easier? Because you, you you're don't skipping, have to, right? Yeah, you're 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 cheating the movement. How so? Because you're using describe your legs. To, describe a kip to people who don't know what a kip okay, is. Okay, so a kip on a pull-up bar would be, you're you're using your legs and your hips to get yourself over the bar instead of compared what? to just using your shoulders. Okay, so why would somebody do that? If because they, they can't, they have weak shoulders. So they that, have weak. Yeah, you're right. Weak. Yeah, yeah. So now if I have weak shoulders and I'm doing that dynamically and I come down aggressively, what's going to happen to my weak shoulders? You're going to hurt yourself. Yeah. Just like Tori's weak hips are hurting her knee when she's going for a run. Before, when we were off air before, Sam just told Tori, he's like, you can't just run. You got to lift too. Right. So, so strength training and getting stronger in those positions allow you to, like running is it to, to just go out and run without doing any strength training is just like doing kipping without doing any strength training yet. Like running would be the equivalent of kipping for your upper body mm-hmm. because you're putting a lot of stress on your shoulders and on the, the running part, you're putting a lot of stress on your hips, which then goes to the next thing. So you end up with elbow pain, shoulder pain. When you're doing running without the appropriate mobility, stability, then you're going to end up with knee pain, foot pain, shin splints, hip pain, all that jazz. All the issues. All the issues. <laughs> Those are my main questions. Yeah. And we didn't even talk about stretching. And I think we're going to hit it again next time. Actual stretching, like how you can actually tackle certain things. Because you can stretch and do certain things to help certain positions and, and things that might hurt. But a lot of times we are, there's a quote, uh, where you think it is, it ain't. So where you think the issue, because we just talked about the joint by joint approach, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you think you have knee pain, it's not coming from your knee. That's just where it's showing. So if you have shoulder pain, it's not coming from your shoulder. That's just where you think it's coming from. If you have hip pain, it could be coming from your hip, actually. That's the one. That's the, that's the, that's, that's the, the uh, exception to the rule. <laughs> There we go. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> Sam winked at me and I got all flustered. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's it. Tori, you got anything else? I'm all good. So really quick, um, for those of you who don't know me, I've had a lot of knee issues growing up when I was younger. And like I said, I didn't strength train until college. Mm. Throughout and in high, high school, school, you had how many ACL tears? I've had three ACL tears. <laughs> surgeries and a total of five knee surgeries, meniscus, MCL. Um, So knowing and dealing with that, the surgery, the rehab, I was like, okay, I'm doing something wrong. And that's when I I realized I needed to do more Mm -hmm. to help my body. I couldn't just run like I did. I couldn't just play sports. And it, it, I did have weak hips. I had weak hamstrings. Um, I'm more quad dominant and I Anthony, <laughs> don't do that. I didn't even hear it. I said she still does have weekends. I still oh. do. Well, I mean, it's a work in progress, yeah. but I'm enjoying it. Yeah. So 
And you're learning more about your body mm-hmm. and how to make those things feel better and continually feel better as you get older and lose 10% of your strength every year for the next decade, the rest of your life. Yikes. Yikes. We're going to touch upon that next time too. Flexibility, right? Tackling things. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about balance too. So Tori's going to put that in the notes. Like about balance. Because Sam, who played soccer and lacrosse, she's really dominant on one side. And a lot of athletes, they get injured, especially because their non-dominant side is very weak. And they go into, get into a position that's not great. And their non-dominant side, their weaker side, because they don't use it or train it in strength training, ends up getting injured. So that's mm-hmm. what I want to kind of talk about next time some balance in trying to get us healthier because any imbalances and things like that are the things that kind of lead to pain injury yeah and acl surgeries unfortunately rushing movements yeah we just hit a bond yeah and then the speed through stuff yeah <laughs> all right that was long 50 minutes was it yeah, was a lot flying. to talk about a lot to talk about and i kind of monopolized all the time today sorry but that's all we got for today until next time we will help continue to help you find your prime. Have a great day. Thanks again for hanging out for another episode of the Prime Podcast. And if you like what we're doing, just go into wherever you're listening to this, whether it's Apple, Spotify, wherever, and give us a review. Let us know how we're doing. If there's something you'd like to listen to or hear about. And also hit that subscribe button so you get the latest notifications of when we release new episodes. Every little bit counts. Thanks for hanging out, and we'll see you next time in our journey to help you find your prime.